welcome back to the Two Man Wall Podcast. This is Match Week 24 and Match Week 25. I am back as your host, Braden, with my co-host, Ethan. How's it going? And over the last two weeks, we have seen some pretty, dare I say, standard Premier League football. Points dropped at the top, points gained at the bottom, big wins, small wins, draws, all standard things in the Premier League. I don't think I said anything too controversial in the last 10 seconds. No, I think other than the City-Chelsea result, everything else has been pretty straightforward. Which is very rare in this league. We love to say never a dull moment in this league, but Uh by Premier League standards, maybe a dull moment. Besides the fact that we did lose a manager. And we will get to that right this very second. And it's Roy Hodgson, a Crystal Palace managerial legend, dare I say, that I don't think he got necessarily the boot. I think it was a a mutual step down, as they like to say in sports. Mm. Um, A metaphorical boot in some ways. Yes. Nonetheless, An he's Arsene no Wenger manager. type boot. Yes, yes. Uh, not quite as spectacular, but um, consensus, a mutual agreement to leave the club. And Oliver Glasner steps in to take his place. A manager that has found success almost everywhere he's gone, Ethan. Yeah, well, the only place I know he's gone is Frankfurt. I'm I'm gonna be honest. I don't know where else he's gone, but I know they did, of course, win the Europa League in 2022 with Frankfurt. Had a very good spell there, and on paper, seems like a very very good managerial signing. The fact that a low a lower level Prem club like Palace is getting a manager who's won a European trophy seems like a very big deal and a very big step up from Roy Hodgson. Just seems like a breath of fresh air which to be honest when the predecessors Roy Hodgson seems like isn't that high of a bar to <laughs> meet <laughs> in terms of freshness yeah. I mean yeah I, I think Oliver Glasner took Lask who is a correct me if I'm wrong Greek club that from sounds right the second tier of their domestic league into the Champions League I believe Oh, is that? Uh, I mean, I know years. they. I know they've played in Europe. Yes. I didn't realize that they were that, a second tier club. That was yes, that was Glasner. He, I think. Wow. I I read up on Glasner earlier today. There was a club in between Lask and Frankfurt. It was like Betis. That's not even close to right, but it's somewhere around the <laughs> Betis level. Um, that he also did very well and and left with success. So he's swiftly moved up the ranks in the club soccer European club soccer world. Um, and now he moves down actually to Crystal Palace because <laughs> he was probably better off with Frankfurt in terms of talent, uh, especially mm-hmm. with the injury issues going on right now. Crystal Palace with their two best players basically in and out of the hospital uh, every few weeks. Um, however, I think this is a really good signing, and you know this seems like a trajectory for him to you know use. Crystal Palace is maybe a launch pad to jump up to like a West Ham or something like that. Just, you know, continue to move up the ranks, maybe in the Premier League, maybe somewhere else. Um, but yeah, I mean, widely, hugely consistent, successful manager in Europe over the last couple of years. I mean, honestly, doesn't get much better than that if you're a Crystal Palace fan. And I actually do know a couple, believe it or not. So I'm really <laughs> happy about it. 
Yeah, I think from a Crystal Palace point of view, with the squad they have, they genuinely do have a chance to like make it into the top half, yeah. which I don't think they've ever done in yeah. the Prem. I mean, Palace <laughs> are the historically mid-club in the Prem, yeah. like never below 15th, <laughs> never above like 12th. Yeah. Um, but with Eze, with Elise, with like Gay and a bunch of other young players that they have, which Roy Hodgson wasn't really getting the best use out of. Like the obviously, you know, he was using Gay, Eze, and Elise, but some of the much younger players, I think that was one of the issues of contention, is that he wasn't mm-hmm. using them a lot. You know, he's yeah. uh you like to stick with the more experienced players, the veterans. So I think this this is just all very good for Palace fans. I'm sure they'll be happy about this change. Sure. I mean, I think it was time to go. Yeah. Um, you wrote down two wins in the last 13 games. That's yeah, that's correct. Pretty darn unacceptable for the Premier League, especially for a Crystal Palace team that probably had their sights set on a rather comfortable uh, Premier League season, safe of the mm-hmm. drop zone. Uh, now they're threatened, and the only thing to do is make a managerial change, and a, on paper, good one at that. Yeah. So, big ups to Crystal Palace. Excited to see where they go. Um, and with that, we'll move on to some match week 24 and 25 content, starting off with Aston Villa one, Manchester United two, Manchester United go and get all three points at Villa Park, which has gone from being the most fortress of all fortresses in the Premier League to now a place that everybody wants to come and get points. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Rasmus Hoyland on fire, Rasmus Hoyland, um, who we'll get to has continued his goal scoring streak recently. Uh, get, opens the scoring in the 17th minute. Douglas Louise equalizes in the 67th with a shimmy at that. Mm-hmm. And then Scott McTominay, who else, um, gets the winner in the 86th minute. The most clutch player in the history of the club. And it's not even close. <laughs> Maybe I'll go to Sochar, but they're definitely in the same tier. Um, He's making his way towards yeah. most clutch United <laughs> player ever. It's not, it's not quite a you know, last-minute winner for the treble, but yeah, <laughs> he's getting there. Um. But it sees Manchester United out to three points. Uh, Somehow, someway, this Manchester United team, which has definitely gained in form over the last month, continues to get points and stay in this top four race. And this is just another installment of that series. Yeah, and that form has been spearheaded by Rasmus Hoyland, obviously, who you mentioned. I believe it is six games in all competitions straight in which he has scored now including the game after this yes including the game after this yes um yeah he yeah he the goals were building up for him obviously after that big goal drought and it's all just Mm -hmm. come out at once the floodgates have definitely opened for him but it hasn't just been him uh from the united from what i've seen of united these past couple weeks garnacho even though the final product hasn't quite been there garnacho has looked really really good Rashford is still underperforming, but isn't completely shit like he was yeah. <laughs> like the first months of the season. Like he's definitely building his form back up. But the attack is clicking, and then obviously you gotta talk about Kobe Minu, how consistent his performances mm-hmm. have been. And then when you have Scott McTominay coming off the bench, like <laughs> there's nothing you can do. You can try to contain him, but like He's he's arguably been United's most important player this season. If sure. you just look back and think about the sh- the raw number of points that he's yeah. won, the two goal, 
He's won three points by himself against Sheffield United with those two late goals. I think, was it yeah, Sheffield Brentford United? Or Sheffield. Brentford, my Brent, Brentford, I think, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Brentford. Um, And then two points, two crucial, crucial points against a Champions League, a fellow Champions League uh, qualifying rival in Aston Villa, winning two points off of them. Essentially, almost a four-pointer, Yeah, this one. Um, And did he, did he have a brace in that game against Chelsea? Did he score both of them? I know he Oof. had one. I'm not sure if he had two. Sure. But either way, Scott McTominay's single-handedly kept United in this race for Champions League over the course of the season. Now the rest of his teammates are picking it up, but it cannot be diminished how important he has been for United. Yeah. Uh, yeah and you'd think with how much uh, fog has surrounded their manager, Eric Ten Hag, this season... Some even put him on the hot seat for uh, several months of the season. Uh, you'd think they'd be slipping down to Chelsea range, but they are very comfortably in sixth. Six points clear of Brighton in seventh and only five points off of top four. Yeah, yeah. They're which definitely crazy. Yeah, they're definitely looking up rather than down now, which was not the case for most of the season. But they, they have some real form that they've built yeah. up. And going... Now going into a Manchester derby at the Etihad, it will be, which is in two weeks. I don't think it's next weekend. Yeah. Um, but that will be a real test of their sure. uh, Champions League credentials. They're one of two teams to win four games in a row. The last four games in a row, and the other one's Arsenal. So, yeah. slowly creeping up this table. Um, however, I don't necessarily see it. Right now, for United, their path into the top four, maybe fifth, uh, because Villa's form is dropping steadily. Um, but I, I don't see them nicking fourth off of Villa or Tottenham. I, I just don't know if they have that quality this year or they're going to hit that kind of form because they're going to need to like, more or less drop very few points for the rest of the season to, to crack four. Um, especially with Tottenham almost back at full strength now, if not completely Pretty back much, at full yeah. strength. Yeah. So with Son back from Asian Cup and Madison back from injury and Vandeven back from injury, <clears throat> Vicario, uh, Papa Sar, like, I don't know if they have enough to crack Tottenham and Villa. I think they will crack Villa, but Tottenham and Villa, I, I don't know. They have that City game left. I don't know what their strength of schedule is for the rest of the year, but it's 25 games in. Like you have most of your teams left. So I don't know. And obviously it's still pretty early to be saying they won't, but I would probably favor Tottenham over them at this point, just because of the quality we've seen so far. Um, but anything is possible. And like you said, definitely looking up and not down, which was a concern for a lot of the season. Yeah. And the second match, or should I say matches, that we're covering this week is Arsenal's recent thumping of two successive teams in Claret and Blue, uh, Burnley and West Ham away from home. 11-0 on aggregate between the two. Not much really to say here, but this team is finally finding form, and with a capital F. Yeah, everybody's booking their trips to Abu Dhabi now. Let's just, let's just say that. <laughs> I don't know what voodoo Arteta was working over there, 
But yeah, um, and both of these, and importantly, both of these drubbings have come without Jesus. So essentially, or without Jesus, and then also without Enketia starting. So both of these games have come without a clear nine. Um, I think believe Trossard started at the nine for both of these. I think Havertz was pretty much consistently playing as a left side eight. And Trossard has scored for, I think, three games in a row because he scored late against Liverpool. So and he scored in both of these games too. So Trossard is finding his goal scoring form. I mean, right now, who, who isn't for Arsenal? Yeah, uh, seriously. Yeah, they just, they just look so in the mood. They just look so cohesive. I think, I think the key to this success has been Martin Odegaard mm. because I, I really see him at the levels he was last season, which he's been, he's been consistently good for Arsenal so far, but he hasn't been like yeah. the, the focal point 100%. of the team so far this season until now. He has genuinely just been pulling the strings, looking like the best number 10 in the league like he did last season. Mm. Uh, yeah, he's been absolutely fantastic. His goal against Burnley was a vintage Odegaard strike from outside the box just like a low shot fired into the corner and he's racked up at least two or three assists in these last couple of games as well he he's just he just looks so confident looks like he just really wants to control the game which again hasn't necessarily been the case so far this season sometimes he's looked a little not necessarily lost out there but just a little bit uninvolved Mm -hmm. but he's been the center of Arsenal's success in these recent weeks. Yeah, hundred percent. I think Saka also deserves a lot of praise. Uh, I think he has like six goals and three assists in the league since since the new year. Like something yeah. something crazy that he's just producing at ridiculous levels. Crucially, since he got rid of the bleach share. <laughs> you know, I'm not <laughs> correlation is not necessarily causation, but you know, I have um, my theories. <laughs> however. The, it's really been ever. I think, you know, Havertz has stepped up, and it takes a lot to say that these days. Uh, Declan Rice being Declan Rice, I mean, he really hasn't skipped a beat this entire season. Um, two clean sheets, by the way, which have been incredibly hard to come by for Arsenal this year, especially at home. But these two were on the road, which in theory is more difficult, and they shut out both of them. Um, with Gabriel and Saliba both scoring in these games. Uh, Gab- Gabriel being our third, fourth highest goal scorer this year. <laughs> it's like five maybe, goals. Maybe, maybe not league. after these games because everybody yeah. else had a chance to stat pad. Yeah. But after the Palace game when he scored the brace, he yeah. probably was like third. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. Um, the Jesus injury, however, is a little bit... I mean, it's tough to say. Lose a, a loss of an attacker after, you know scoring 11 goals in two games is concerning but mm-hmm. he was a surprise omission for the last game he was for the first game he missed in this injury streak and he hasn't been back in a couple games three weeks now um just one of those things that is a little bit frustrating as an arsenal fan it seems to happen more often than you think where like you think all, everything is all good and then alexander Sinchenko is all of a sudden omitted from a squad and you don't see him for two months it's like they, they yeah. like to keep things a secret, which I get it. You know, you want a game plan for these guys and then don't see them on the, the team sheet, switches things up. Like, I get it. But, like, are we going to 
see him at some point this season. Like Sinchenko, <laughs> Jesus. Like I love, I love Trossard as a striker. I love Havertz the way he's playing. But like, I would like our formidable number nine back if possible. Who was on decent form when he left, by the way. Yeah. So especially for Champions League, where he yes. really seems to hit his peak. Yeah, cooked. Um, yeah. that game on Wednesday too. Uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's that. I think that's the one thing right now. If there was one con to this recent streak, it's that both Sinchenko and Jesus have rather mysterious omissions, and I would like to get a little more clarity and hopefully some optimism on those. Um, but other than that, obviously nothing to be pessimistic about. They went into the London Stadium, which has been a difficult place to score goals. Their defense has been rigid this season. Um, also a team we lost to at home not yeah. too many weeks ago. Uh, and to go there and just whoop their ass and then take care of business plus some at Burnley is definitely reason for optimism going into the last 19 games of the season. Way so, less. Yeah, like 15 games of the season. Yeah. So, yeah. And where does that leave us in a title race? Well, Manchester City are, and as we'll get to with the next feature game, with the win would put them on 56, Arsenal on 55, Liverpool on 57. So one and one separates first and second, second and third. All to play for when maybe some pundits thought that Arsenal may have been out of it after their pre uh new year form so have that we move on to the third match of the feature games this week manchester city won chelsea won manchester city dropping points at home to chelsea football club that is still sitting 10th in the league um the goals came from raheem sterling in the 42nd and rotary in the 83rd and this was a deserved point for Chelsea, who in another universe probably take all three from this game because one Erling Holland was not himself, not really anything close to himself on the day, probably had a couple chances that you and I could have put away on a, <laughs> on a good day and pop those over the bar. And Chelsea had their opportunities to score I, with the Sterling one. Uh, sticks from Gusto sticks out to me. Yeah, at one nothing, that was like 15 minutes to go. That might have put the game to bed, and taken all three. And there's there's one thing that is very consistent about Chelsea is that technically they are incredibly sound. Like if you they it, I was trying to explain this to my roommates when we were watching. To me, Chelsea games look like. Maybe not against City, but when Chelsea go to like, I don't know, Sheffield or go to like Wolves, it see, it looks to me like it's like the U16 La Mesa Academy from Barcelona playing <laughs> against like the best D3 team in America. Just like the most well-coached D3 team in America versus the like 15-year-old La Mesa Academy where like one team is wildly more technical just wildly more technical than the other team but it's like not nearly as cohesive and then the other team is like much more well drilled and coached and disciplined but does not really have the technical quality to score 
So it's like Chelsea, the La Mesa Academy should be ripping the team apart. However, the cohesion is what stops them and the chemistry and the like almost tactics because I don't really think Pochettino is doing a good job. Long story short, I don't think Pochettino is doing a good job, but <laughs> it just doesn't look like a, like an attacking unit, which I've never seen La Mesa play, but maybe I just feel like 15 year olds aren't all there yet with tactics. But like, this is how I, I tried to like visualize it to my roommate. And then like the D3 team is like very rigid, like more athletic, like definitely has an edge in some way tactically, but simply has nowhere near the quality of the team on the other side of the pitch. And it's just like an onslaught to the point where some like six, four D three attacker gets a goal and they lose one, nothing like that's essentially the way I watched the Chelsea team play. And on the day they looked way more cohesive. First of all, that's one of the most unique analogies I think I've, <laughs> <laughs> I've heard from you on, on this podcast. Um, but yeah, I definitely agree because I mean, they spent a billion pounds. Like, I don't think yeah. anybody can doubt like the talent that the individual players have. And it's always just been about the cohesion and forming it into a collective unit. And every once in a while, they look like an actual team. And maybe going forward, that, that wasn't quite the case. Mm-hmm. But defensively, they certainly looked like a very yeah. strong unit. Axel Dastasi has been given a lot of credit, and rightfully so. He was absolutely everywhere um, defending that box for his life on the day. Uh, but yeah, Chelsea arguably would be almost upset with one point. Definitely on the balance, definitely on the balance of play. Of course, City dominated. It's what you'd expect. But in terms of raw chances, like obviously there was the really there's the really bad Holland miss, and then there was the pretty bad Holland miss. Yeah. <laughs> um. But Nicholas Jackson had a Ugh. golden opportunity, which I don't. I don't watch that many Chelsea games but when I do I swear to god Nicholas Jackson has that exact chance that he misses every game (laughs) where like he receives the pass and he's one-on-one with the keeper and he should just take it first time and just side foot it past him and then just takes the extra touch for no reason I swear it's happened in every single game I've watched (laughs) him um and I knew and when the ball came across from Gusto, I believe it was like I knew that exact sequence was going to yeah. happen. <laughs> Not like he takes it first time and like shoots wide. Like he was gonna take that first touch and it was yeah. gonna allow Ederson to close it touch. down. Yeah. Like yeah. Um. But yeah, and then you mentioned the the Sterling chance in the second half. Ederson made a great save. Uh, and yeah, they and then the obviously the goal that Sterling took, which was very well taken. Not an easy chance by any means, but. They definitely could have had at least two goals in this game. And City, did, City didn't have that many golden opportunities. I mean, that Rodri chance, it, it wasn't like it was like an yeah. insanely good chance. Rodri just you know, took it well. I think even despite the deflection, it was probably rifling mm-hmm. for the top corner. Um, but yeah, Chelsea are, definitely could have come away with three points from this. That being said, I don't think they'll be too upset with yeah. the one. It... <laughs> The more you think about the results this season for Chelsea, the more it seems like it's solely on the manager. Like, they always step up in games like Big Six games. We used to say, like, the dark magic that comes out when they play Big Six games, just, like, what was it, 4-4 against City last time? And then, like, the crazy game at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Like, they always step up and play decently well. And if you look at their Big Six record, it will tell you 
that like they put it together in the games in like these big matches during the season. They went to Villa Park in the FA Cup and butchered them. Like and then they'll go and lose at home 4-2 to Wolves. Like it's it, it's consistently that way. Mm-hmm. Where they just put in poor performances. It just seems like there's no like maybe it's just because they're not playing for the league and they have really nothing to play for this season where like these extracurricular games quote unquote against like Brentford away just don't seem like they matter to anyone because 10th is the same as 7th and like that's all this is this three points is all that's getting you is like 10th to 8th at the end of the season versus like beating City is like okay that's like a feather in our cap now we should step up because this game in itself is worth fighting for so like maybe their incentives are in the wrong place and Maybe it's just a youth thing because, you know, some of these guys like Maduke, I have no, no idea where Medueke came from, but like uh, PSV. The, yeah, PSV. Like they just went. I know because he was just such a career mode legend for me yeah, you sure. know, back in the day. Okay. <laughs> like all these guys, like they just maybe haven't been used to like not fighting for anything. Like PSV is probably in shit all the time. Cole Palmer, same thing. So like they're just like, fuck it. Like, I don't care. I don't know. I have no idea. I'm just completely speculating here but it does that their record in the league when you look at the games they've won versus games they've lost games they've played well in versus games they haven't it just seems like it's they're just not competing for shit you know and they aren't competing for shit but i don't know it it seems like they play to the occasion so often because again you threw out just like a couple of examples of them just putting in like really good performance against the top team and then the next week they're losing at home to Wolves or like Brentford or something. Mm-hmm. And it, ju- it just seems like it seems like a team that lacks prop like proper motivation and consistent motivation every week. And that and that makes sense when you just consider the fact that probably one of the biggest weaknesses of this team is just chemistry. Mm-hmm. <coughs> just the fact that it is just a group of players rather than a cohesive yeah. team. So it would the fact that that is their downfall would make sense logically speaking. Yeah, I, I don't, and I and who else is to blame for that? But the manager, like maybe just youth. I don't know, but I I do think with Chelsea, it's and we'll get to City in a second because City's definitely worth talking about. But um. I don't think, and I was talking to my roommate about this before, because Chelsea is a very hot topic. There's so much to like, so much opinions that could go into it. There's so much variation of opinion with them. But I don't think Pochettino's the guy, but I also don't think that they should be hiring the guy right now. I think it's, it should be known that Pochettino is not going to bring you back to the top. Whether he is or not, I don't know, but this is my opinion that I don't think he's that guy that's going to manifest this group into a team that's competing for titles, Champions League, etc. Which they should be, considering how much they've spent, obviously. Um, However, I think there's a a tremendous amount of growth that needs to happen before this team is even, with any manager, going to be competing for anything. So I think it's worth it to kind of just ride this out with Pochettino Definitely till the end of the season, maybe into next season, maybe through next season. But I don't think 
that he's the guy. And I also don't think they should hire him yet and just find figure out their guy in the next year or so, hire him at the right point, and make sure that this squad is a little bit more developed when that happens. Yeah. Honestly, I, I don't know what the solution is because it seems like it's just the same issues that were happening under Potter. It, it just yeah. seems like rinse and repeat. Like it, it's, it's the same stuff. They spent half a billion under grandfather had a bunch of players who were really good individually, but didn't seem like they fit any sort of tactical mm-hmm. format or criteria. Didn't work out. Potter got sacked, hired Poch, spent another half a billion and it's the same issues. So to be completely honest, I don't know what the what the solution is or what manager would be capable of finding the solution. I think Poch definitely deserves until the end of the season to at least create an uptick in form, which, hey, this certainly seems like a start. We've been here before, and they could easily go and drop the ball against whoever they yeah. play next week. Um, But yeah, I just think Chelsea Spurs, need but, to yeah. be just... Oh, Spurs. All right, well, oh, wait, that'll no, be a big not. test of them. For some... oh, oh, is it like oh, the, oh, so the League, League Cup? Cup final. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Well, that'll, be, that'll certainly be interesting to see. I mean, if they could, if Chelsea could manage to win a trophy during you know, their, yeah. worst, their worst period in the last two decades, that would certainly give Poch a little bit of breathing yeah. room. Um, yeah, definitely a silver lining for the season, which is looking to be a back-to-back no Europe season if you know things don't change drastically. Um, with that, actually, no, let's talk about Manchester City for a second because them yeah. dropping points is definitely worth talking about. Um, given the stature of the organization, uh, they currently are no longer in control of their own destiny when it comes to the top spot in the Premier League. If they win their next game, they will, as I said before, slide into second, one point above Arsenal, one point behind Liverpool. Um, is this a cause for concern for Manchester City, or is it a one-off game? Um, it's caused for a little bit of concern. Eh. It's hard to say concern. More of a cause for thought. Because it really seemed like we were just getting an earlier version of Classic City late season form. You know, they had put together, I think, seven straight wins before this. You know, they had De Bruyne back, they had Holland back. Win streak, everything seemed like it was kicking into full gear. And then, you know, a performance like this happens. And... It's only two points dropped, which obviously in a title race is a big thing, but for City, they could easily make up that ground. So in my opinion, it's not really about the two points. It's about the fact that City were kind of on a roll that Mm -hmm. seemed like it would just, you know, just snowball and just keep getting better and better. And Chelsea kind of just came out of nowhere and just halted that in its tracks. And it's just, again, it's really just food for thought thinking. Or at least Arsenal and Liverpool fans should look at that and think, yeah, we we play we play say late March. Arsenal is late March, early April. Uh, Liverpool March tenth. Like this is when City, yeah, 
kick it up a notch and they have a mm. chance to stop that momentum and they've seen that you know Chelsea has gone to the Etihad and done just that so mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think that because of this City are a worse team but mm-hmm. it may just mean that they're just slightly more fallible this year sure or or there's a one-off game yeah and I'm delusional <laughs> I honestly think that they they weren't at their best in this game at all. Obviously, Holland missing a boatload of chances that could have put this mm-hmm. game away. Um, but even besides that, I thought they definitely like Doku wasn't great. Uh, I, I think a lot of their performance was down to just looking a little bit uncharacteristically lost. And maybe credit that to to Chelsea because, like you said, they rise to the occasion. They were very very active defensively. Ten guys behind the ball, pretty rigid. Uh, like you said, Dasasi playing. Very well. The midfield, Caicedo playing decently well. Um, Enzo, like it was, it was a very solid Chelsea performance. However, Manchester City usually has no problem breaking down these low blocks, and they had issues, serious issues that needed a, you know, deflected goal for all intent and purposes to crack. And I, I, I think they looked a little bit. I hadn't seen them look that uninspired uh, uninspired is not really the word because they looked inspired in a way but i would say unsuccessful is the word i would use uh mm. in their low block cracking uh especially lacking that, that cutting gets, edge really yes yeah the, uh not even necessarily in, like inside the box but kind of like working the ball around they they seemed like they were kind of dribbling in circles a little bit doku was a little bit lost on that wing um mm-hmm. It just it didn't seem as cohesive as it normally did for City, and I think that's what kind of opened the door for Chelsea, especially on the counterattack, which is where they got most of their chances. Um, so, reason for concern, I would say yes, but that could easily be nixed with a dominant performance like we come to know of them next week, especially from Holland. And with that, we'll move on to some scores from around the grounds, moving straight through match week 24 and 25 chronologically, starting off with Manchester City, speak of, two, Everton, nil, common Manchester City win. Left it a little bit late. First goal coming from Holland in the 71st, but in the end, 73% possession, 19 shots to five. It was an onslaught and probably a matter of time. Holland gets two, 71st and 85th. City get all three points. The kind of game where City score right before I think about tuning in and getting my hopes up that they'll <laughs> drop points. <laughs> right after, actually. Just 90 seconds after. <laughs> um, Wolves nil, Brentford 2. Brentford going and get a, going and getting a win against very inform Wolverhampton Wanderers away from home. Um, kind of a testament to the bounce in form that they've gotten uh, from the return of their talisman, Ivan Tony, Christian Norgard in the 35th, and then... Ivan Tony, uh, speak of in the seventy seventh sees Brentford sweep all three at Molyneux. Fulham three, Bournemouth one, decent three points here for Fulham. Fulham have turned into the Crystal Palace of the league. I'm not gonna lie, you never know what they're <laughs> gonna pull week after week. Uh, Bobby Decordova reading the sixth. Uh, Rodrigo Muniz, who is on a little bit of a scoring streak recently, uh, got two in this game. First in the thirty. 6th, 2nd, and the 52nd, right after a Marcus Sinesi goal that would come to be nothing more than a consolation. All three for Fulham. 
on the 10th. Tottenham 2, Brighton 1. A very, very late winner for Brennan Johnson sees uh, Tottenham Hotspur take all three against Brighton, the team they lost to on the road. Uh, Pape Sar in 61st um, sees an equalizer for Pape Sar in 61st after a Pascal Gross penalty in the 17th. And then Brennan Johnson very, very late in the 90th plus six. A little bit of a clutch gene this year from pa- <clears throat> Ange Postacoglu's men sees Spurs take all three at home. Luton Town 1, Sheffield United 3. A huge three points for Sheffield United, who needed it in the absolute worst of worst ways. Um, on the road in Luton Town, which has been yeah, a this problem a for almost every shock. team that's gone yeah. there. Yeah. Um, Cameron Archer in the 30th. James McAtee penalty in the 36th. A Carlton Morris penalty to make it 2-1. And then a Vinicius Souza Insurance goal in the 72nd sees Sheffield United take all three. 75% possession for Luton Town. Clearly the more aggressive team on the day, but not the most clinical. They take none from this game. Sheffield, I'll get to the positions after we go through Magic 25, but that puts them in a better position. Not good position, but better position, Mm -hmm. as you might imagine. Um, In the grand scheme of things, it seemed like a must win. And to be fair to them, they got three points where yeah. nobody really expected them to get yep. three. Liverpool three, Burnley one, another team that is rolling of late with the exception of the Arsenal performance. Um, Diogo Jota in the 31st. Daro O'Shea in the 45th gets an equalizer. Not before Luis Diaz in the 52nd and Darwin Nunez in the 79th. See Liverpool take all three at home <clears throat> against mightily struggling Burnley. Nottingham Forest, two. Newcastle, three. Gamares gets it started in the 10th minute. Anthony Alonga equalized in the 26th. Callum Hudson-Odoi, a name that you probably haven't heard in a while, rightfully so, uh, gets the equalizer after a Fabian Schar 43rd minute go-ahead goal. And then Bruno Gamares again in the 66th. He's kind of had to do it all for this Newcastle team that yeah. has... Well, I don't know where they'd be this season yeah. without Bruno. <laughs> Um, experienced a lot of injury woes. Uh, sees him take all three at Nottingham Forest. Uh, three points in a run of games that it's proven difficult for them. Just two from their last five, two wins, that is, not two points from their last five. Um, and Berger Marsh again stepping up. Crystal Palace one, Chelsea three, a nice and tidy. Uh, Chelsea performance, you'd think. Uh, but it really <laughs> came from two very late, late goals. One from Conor Gallagher and another from Enzo Fernandez. Uh, Jefferson Lerma with a banger in the 30th minute. And then Conor Gallagher with an equalizer in the 47th. Not getting, I'll say it, say it, instead of once, I've said it a thousand times, not getting quite the credit he deserves for backpacking this midfield recently. Um, gets an equalizer in the 47th. And then the winner in the 91st, Enzo Fernandez, slips in an insurance goal for good measure. And 3-1 is your final score at Selhurst. That is the game that would send Roy Hodgson on his merry way, I believe. Yeah. Um, we'll get to their second game in just a second. That will actually round it up for Match Week 25. We'll move on to Match Week 20. That was 24. This is 25. Yeah. Correct me. Yeah. Um, Brentford won. 
Liverpool four, four different goal scorers for Liverpool, might I add. Nunez, McAllister, Salah, and Gakpo. Ivan Tony with the lone Brentford goal. Pretty comfortable win away from home for Liverpool against a Brentford team that had hit a little bit of form, like I said before. But Liverpool just too good for them on the day. Newcastle 2, Bournemouth 2. Newcastle dropping points to Bournemouth at home. Solanke in the 51st. Anthony Gordon penalty in the 58th. Antoine Semenyo, 69th minute goal. They think they have the winner, not before Matt Ritchie gets the equalizer in the 92nd. The final score will be 2-2 at St. James. Points are shared. You want to talk and, about names you haven't heard in a while. Matt yeah. Ritchie. <laughs> I, not... There was not one cell in my body that thought he still played for Newcastle or that he was still getting into the team. No idea that this guy was touching the first team still there, but good for him. Crucial point. Newcastle up to eighth on 37. Uh, Bournemouth, after getting a Solanke-fueled fantastic run of form in the festive period, has recently only picked up three points in their last five games, three draws, uh, two losses. Slipped down to 13th with a game in hand, I must say, uh, which if they win, they will be above Fulham. Uh, however, when at once they were home free and dry, they have now slipped back into this uh, pseudo relegation battle, which they're still clear of by a little bit. But something to think about as we enter the final 15 games of the season. Fulham won Aston Villa. Two, Ollie Watkins brace sees Villa take all three from Fulham. Again, very volatile team Fulham is. Uh, Rodrigo Muniz getting on the score sheet, like I said before, on a decent run of form. Aston Villa needed that three points pretty mightily if they want to keep their top four hopes alive. They remain in fourth place, two points above Tottenham and five points above United. All played the same amount of games. Fulham, on the other hand, Slipped down to 12th on 29, six points behind Wolves in 11, so they are pretty hard stuck at 12th right now. Nottingham Forest 2, West Ham nil. West Ham's form has dropped significantly in the last couple of games. Uh, Calvin Phillips, who got a little too excited after getting his transfer away from Manchester City, forgot how to tackle and sees red in the 71st minute. Um, they would be down one nothing at that point. Taiwo Awonye, secretly a very clinical goal scorer for this Forest team, uh, gets him on the board. Calum Hudson-Odoi would seal it in the 90th plus four. Nottingham Forest take all three points at home against West Ham. West Ham slipped down to ninth place, just two points from the last five games. Uh, they're on 36th, one point behind Newcastle in eighth, one point above Chelsea in 10th. Nottingham Forest... Who, are, who slipped down into that relegation battle, uh, still in 16th, four points clear of Everton in 17th, and Luton Town in 18th. So not quite clear just yet, but an important three points in a tight relegation battle. I think for West Ham, the only silver lining is that Calvin Phillips is not playing the next game because <laughs> si since his arrival, they've absolutely tanked. Uh, <laughs> it seems like there was good reason why he was not getting any minutes yeah. at City. Tottenham Hotspur 1, Wolves 2. A 42nd minute goal from Zhao Gomez, who, if you don't know who that is, uh, you should probably know that you're probably taller than him. Uh, <laughs> and this was a goal straight from a corner. 
why he is in the set piece tactics for Wolves. I will never know, but that's why I'm not a manager because he gets the opener straight from a corner kick in the 42nd minute. Dayan Kulishevsky answers right after halftime with a pretty nifty goal is yeah. I think the best way I could put it. Very slick from Dayan Kulishevsky. Slips it right through the keeper's legs for the equalizer. And the 63rd minute, Jao Gomez would get his brace. Jota streams down the wing, slides it across for Gomez. Clinical finish. Neto, I think you mean. <laughs> Neto, what I say? Jota. <laughs> Jota. Oh, <laughs> wow. I'm reminiscing. Apologize. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Pedro Neto slides, slides the ball across for Jao Gomez, who gets his brace uh, and sees Wolves take all three at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, which is not only big for Wolves, but big for Manchester United, who are currently chasing them. And for a European spot and huge for Villa, might I add, who needed that to actually stay in top four. Yeah. Sheffield United nil, Brighton five, a thumping of Sheffield United after their heroic performance of the week prior. Mason Holgate with one of the worst tackles you will ever see on a football pitch yeah. in the 13th <laughs> minute. Um no arguments there. Just complete murder. Did you intent. did you see the in, did you see the interview with uh with the Sheffield United captain after where he said like <laughs> it. it wasn't a red? <laughs> oh man. Uh, maybe he didn't see the replay. Maybe he, just... he, he actually didn't. I, I think he said oh, okay. like maybe if I once. Yeah, I think after yeah. he sees the video. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This was pretty cut and dry. Uh, one of the few decisions that will has really no uh argument associated with it uh that was early in the game it was nil nil at that point 13th minute and brighton took full advantage of the man advantage uh buena note in the 20th daniel welbeck in the 24th jack robinson own goal in the 75th and then sam on adingra in the 78th and the 85th sees brighton take all three Luton Town 1, Manchester United 2. Manchester United's form continues a Rasmus Hoyland brace with Harry Styles in attendance, as my Twitter feed would not let me forget. <laughs> uh, first, in the within a minute of the game, off a pretty poor back pass, and in the seventh minute of the game, with a fortuitous slash maybe technically sound deflection off his chest that slid past the goalie for 2-0. Carlton Morris swiftly gets one back in the 14th, but there would be no more scoring for the rest of the game. 2-1 is your final at Kenilworth Road. Manchester United continue to roll. And lastly, Everton won. Crystal Palace won. I don't think... Uh, what was his name? Glazer? Glasner? Oliver Glasner uh, was in attendance for this one. I think that decision was made today. I think it was probably an interim today. Um, Unless I could no no it was that. it was an interim I think okay. he may have been in the stands for all I know yeah. but um definitely wasn't in the dugout. Um, nonetheless, the sport the points are shared on the day. Jornayu in the sixty sixth, Amadou Onana in the eighty fourth steals a point back for Everton, who need every point they can get after their points deduction. They currently sit seventeenth, just seven goals outside the relegation zone. Not even a full point. Um, Crystal Palace in 15th obviously their managerial change was a result of their poor form slipping back down into this relegation battle uh, this was more or less a six pointer um, and nobody could take all three on the day and that rounds it out for match weeks 24 and 25 just one match week 26 prediction Arsenal host Newcastle at the Emirates on form Arsenal 
Who do you got? Uh, it'd be hard not to say Arsenal for this one. Uh, back at the Emirates after some terrific away form, Newcastle just haven't impressed that much over the last couple weeks. Got a couple of nice results, but nothing to make me believe that they could go to the Emirates and get a point. I mean, they could get a point. Arsenal definitely prone to dropping some curiously underwhelming performances at home this season, so definitely not inexplicable that they drop points here, but in the form they're in right now, it's really hard to imagine that they would. I'm going to go for Arsenal 2, Newcastle 1. I think it'll be close. I think Newcastle are going to get a goal off the break, which they've done very well this season, yeah. but I can't see Newcastle breaking down Arsenal once Arsenal like sit back. So yeah. it's going to have to come from like a counter or a set piece. Yeah. And I think Arsenal, just the way their attack has been, how cohesive they've been, Everyone just seems in the mood right now. They're going to put a couple past Dubravka. Yeah. So, 2-1. As, as much as I could believe that there's like a 2-0 Newcastle on just like a, er, like a early second half Anthony Gordon break and a like corner kick from like Sven Botman and we just like never find the goal, I... I think that was a pre-2024 Arsenal, and right now on their form, they're just in the mood. Saka, Martinelli, Odegaard, Trossard, Havertz, dare I say. Um, just a li- going to be a little bit too much for Newcastle in the day. I'm going to say 2-0 Arsenal, actually. And with that, we will head straight into our closing segment, which will be spearheaded by Ethan. Ethan, take it away. Yeah, um, I'm pretty excited for this one. I think it's going to be interesting. So let's start off with a little intro into the topic of our final segment. What's prompted this? I'm completely uh, blind to this, by the way. Yeah. So recently, the International Football Association Board, who create the laws of the game, recently approved the trials of blue cards, oh, geez. which would force the player off the field for 10 minutes. I think they're calling them sin bins. Um, and they'd be issued in cases of dissent or like cynical fouls. Um, first of all, I do want to say that there is a long way to go before there's even a chance of this being introduced at like, you know, the highest level. Um, FIFA has even like spoken out about or spoken out like against the use of this. So it's going to be trialed in like very low levels. There's a long way to go with this. But the point is, it's made a lot of headlines recently. Um, But if it were to be implemented, which is a big but, it would represent a huge change uh, in just the laws of the game. So I figured in the spirit of that, I've devised a little quiz for Brayden regarding the history of, you know, big rule changes. Uh... In just the history of soccer, because the game that we know today has been cultivated over a century and a half of tweaks and changes, because mm. this was a much different game back in the 19th century. And through through research, I've found out some pretty interesting facts here. So I'm I think excited. it should be fun. All right. So without further ado, let's just hop right into it. Question number one for Braden. 
which of the following was not a law of the game in 1863? A. Throw-ins were made with one hand. B. If the ball crossed the sideline, the player who got to the ball first was awarded the throw-in. Uh, C. If a player caught a high ball or just a ball in the air, the player himself was awarded a free kick. Or D. Penalty kicks were taken from 18 yards out, of course, contrary to 12 yards out as they are now. So which is not true. The highball one seems insane. That's like a different sport altogether. If that's if that's <laughs> introduced, like that's straight up rugby at that point. Um, which is more or less where the sport came from, maybe. Uh, no, actually, I don't know. I don't know which came first, but the penalty. I could see the penalty being taken from farther out because I don't know. The throwing one. Mm. What was the first one? That that was the throwing one. That throw-ins were made with one hand. Just picture like Patty Mahomes right, just right, right, right. launch, <laughs> just launching um, it. I could see that being a rule because they probably want to restrict you from just like launching at fifty yards. Um, I'm gonna say that getting the ball, getting to the ball first after it went out of bounds, was not a rule. All right, final answer. Final answer. That is incorrect. That was a rule. Uh, the one that was not a rule back then was that penalty kicks were taken from 18 yards out. Wow. The reason being penalty kicks were not invented by that point. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, yes, but like the other three are true. Um, by the way, spot on with the, uh, with the rugby comment. Uh, it yeah. was derived from rugby. It was basically just huh. like a split of the two sports pretty much huh. uh, back then. So that's kind of where it came from. But yeah, also, like you mentioned, uh, if a play- uh, C, if a player called a high ball, he himself was awarded the free kick. Yeah. That was insane. I couldn't believe yeah. that was a real rule <laughs> back then. Uh, but yeah, very, very in- interesting. All right. So let's move on to question number two. So sli- slightly different form of a question. Mm-hmm. So I need you to sort the following rules by when they were introduced from oldest to youngest. So essentially... Okay oldest to most recent okay so here are the four a player could not be offside in his own half corner kicks just in general uh goalkeeper becoming a distinct position meaning that they wore a different colored shirt from the rest of the team and penalty kicks so those are the four you have to sort them in order of when they were introduced corner kicks and penalty kicks God, I gotta get really fundamental here. Which one would be like more? Because I, I'm, I'm gonna take a leap here and say that any ball over the end line was just the goalkeeper's ball, and they had to change something. So, like, even if you like passed it yourself over the end line, it would be the goalkeeper's ball. So, like, how early were they? Like, that's unfair. Hmm. Penalty kick, maybe just. A- Penalty kick was just like any, it just like took it from the spot where the foul was. I'm going to say that, so it was the penalty kick, corner kick, goalkeeper, and 
Offside in your own half. Offside mm. in your own half, I'm going to say that's the most recent. Because offside was probably like a rule, like not even introduced until like the early 1900s. All right, so you're saying that's most recent. All right. That's most recent. Mm-hmm. Then I'm going to say... <sighs> See, that that highball rule makes me think that everybody was just the goalkeeper until they made <laughs> until they just like removed the other 10 players. Um I don't even there probably wasn't even 18. Okay. Okay, 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 ready? Ready? Mm-hmm. Goalkeeper yeah. has to be before penalty kicks because there had to be an 18-yard box. So, I'm going to say goalkeeper before penalty kicks because penalty kicks are only in the 18-yard box and the 18-yard box is probably invented for goalkeepers for the handball rule. So, I'm going to say goalkeeper first, then corner kicks, then... No, no, no. Goalkeeper, penalty kicks, corner kicks, offside in your own half. Final answer. Okay, hold on. So, goalkeeper, penalty kicks, corner kicks, then offside in your own half. Yep, final answer. Okay. So you went one for four. Okay. Um, so uh, the, the oldest rule was corner kicks. 1872 were when corner kicks were adopted. Okay, I can see that. And the next one was the only one you got right. Penalty kicks were the second oldest. So penalty okay. kicks introduced 1891. So they were introduced after corner kicks. Okay. Um, but the goalkeeper then, position was invented after the penalty kick. Yes. So there was an 18-yard box before there were goalkeepers, and they just used the 18-yard box to determine. Um, honestly, I'm not entirely sure if there was an 18-yard box. Mm, it could just be. Okay, In fact, actually, it. I don't think there was. I don't. I don't have the link up right now. But I believe what it was is that essentially, penalty kicks were awarded by the referee's discretion of whether it was within 12 yards. Oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> As if football couldn't get more subjective. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think that's how it worked. And then the third oldest was a player could not be offside in his own half. That was introduced in 1907. You were pretty close with that because the next or the most recent one was goalkeeper becoming a distinct position, and that was in 1909. Okay. So, you went one for four, but you were pretty, you were pretty close with uh, the offside one. So, okay. It's an interesting, you know, analytical thinking question. It's like an, it's yeah. like an interview question. Like, sure. you know, like <laughs> how many windows are there in New York City? Like, <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, I'd okay. up if they asked me that in an interview. <laughs> Just Google it beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> 3225500 <laughs> Just a hunch. Yeah. Uh, all right. Third question. Um, bit more straightforward. Uh, penalty shootouts uh, as a way to determine a winner for a game were first introduced in 1970. But when was the first time that it occurred in a World Cup knockout game? So uh, the options are 1974, 1978. 1982 and 1986. So when was the first time that there was a penalty shootout in a World Cup game? So starting with 72 every four years? 
starting with 74 every four years. Okay. 74, okay. 78, 82, okay. 86. Um, I know it was Golden Goal. But were the was it golden goal two penalties is the answer. I'm gonna say seventy six. Seventy six is not an option. Seventy eight. <laughs> uh, that is incorrect. Unfortunately, okay. the correct answer is 1982. Oh. Uh, the semifinal between West Germany and France. West Germany won five four on penalties following a three three thriller. Pretty pretty iconic World Cup game, actually. Uh, if you you may recall that this was a World Cup game where I believe it was the German goalkeeper who like absolutely like n- knocked out um like the French player running out on goal like broke his jaw, took out like his front teeth. Like <laughs> you've probably seen the clip of it, but yeah, famous game, and that was the first time a penalty shootout occurred in a World Cup game. All right, so you're. One for four. Don't don't tell like the record. <laughs> one point one point two five for four. Okay, thanks. Oh wait, actually no, it's only been three. This is the fourth question. Um, in what year were yellow and red cards introduced? Very much on topic as we're you know talking about blue cards. So mm-hmm. which year were red and yellow cards introduced? Again, multiple choice: 1930, 1958, 1962, 1970. There's no way yellow cards and red cards weren't there in the 70s. Were, yeah. I, yellow cards and red cards. They were well, obviously the they time. were there because this is, that's the latest option. So clearly they were there. Or, yes. I'm saying like there's no way they weren't there in the 70s. Okay. <laughs> um, they were introduced at the same time? Yes. They were introduced okay. at the same time. Hmm. Was it, what, 40, 50, 60, 70? Uh, 30, 58, 62, 70. Basically a hint that it happened for World Cup. I chose World Cup yeah. years. Okay. So, as, man, uh, as many of these alterations are, they're like first introduced at World Cups. I'm going to say mm, 48 seems early. 58. 58. Wait, it was I said no to 70. Well, what's the one at more the most 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 recent one before that? 62. That's my answer. 62. 62? That is incorrect. It actually oh is 1970. That's really? They were first well, introduced. I guess I said no way they weren't there, I guess. Yeah. They had to be there at least. <laughs> uh, yeah. Before then, it was kind of just like the ref told you like, "Hey, I'm warning you. Don't do that. <laughs> You're gonna could be the sorry. Refs, could the ref? Could the ref legally send somebody off until the red card? Yeah, I believe. I believe so. They just like okay. tell them like, oh, they're okay. Off. oh, okay, okay. The, so the, the issue card. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. The issue was just um because again I've read up on it. The issue was just like keeping track of it and just yeah. like players like didn't really know like if they were like really on thin ice. It was just a yeah. more concise clear way of like knowing where you were that's crazy so yeah and then finally fifth and final question end on a high note which of the following is false not true regarding the history of substitutes in soccer so which only one of these 
or three of these are true, one is false. A. Substitutions were introduced around Europe first, and then the English eventually adopted it afterwards. B. The first substitute to score a goal in English league football, named Bobby Knox, was also the first to save a penalty as a substitute in the league. Um, C. 2021 was the first year that allowed five substitutes to be made in a professional game. And D, the term substitute was originally used to describe the replacement of a player who just straight up did not show up for a game. What was the last one? The last one is that the term substitute originally was only used to describe the replacement of a player who didn't show up for a game. Meaning there were no in-game substitutes, but the only time you could substitute a player in is if somebody didn't show up. I see. Um, I think so. They, they, I know they introduced the five substitutes in FIFA for the twenty twenty two World Cup because of the heat. What was the technical? Can you say the the entire uh, sub, the five substitutes one? Yeah, so 2021 was the first year that allowed five substitutes to be made in a professional game. So maybe that's not very clear. Yeah. We're talking across any, yeah. any top European division. Sure. I'm going to say that's false because I think there might have been five substitutes introduced somewhere in Europe. So you, you mean like? I think that's, that's false. Okay. It's, yeah, that, that, that's my final answer. Okay. That is exactly right. Okay, sweet. Uh, it was not 2021. It was 2020. And as you'll probably remember, it was because of coronavirus. Coronavirus. Um, yeah, they yeah, allowed yeah, yeah. five substitutes. So, yeah. B was pretty clearly not the answer because it was so niche, but I just wanted to include that yeah. in there because I thought it was a really interesting, <laughs> yeah. interesting stat. Fuck you if you just made that up. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be really cruel and creative. Yeah. Alright. So not the... I mean, that's a tough quiz. There, there's yeah. no way you had any prior knowledge of any yeah. of that. Yeah. So, honestly, that's really interesting, though. <laughs> yeah, very interesting. I, I had a fun time devising this one. Uh, yeah, so some little bit of uh, history for you on this fine evening. Wild. It's I, crazy that, like, red cards and yellow cards are so iconic, even, like, outside of soccer. Just, mm-hmm. like, yellow cards for, like, certain behaviors and then red cards for certain behaviors. Yeah. It's so um, inconceivable to think that it was one at a time yeah. not a part of the game at all. Yeah, yeah. Even like kind of recently, like kind of recently. Yeah, yeah, like like Pele was playing in a time where yeah. like it didn't exist. They just like, Pele yeah, won yeah, two exactly. World Cups before red cards yeah. were introduced. <laughs> Farmers, just another, just another, yeah, just another, <laughs> just another feather in the cap for the goat debate. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, match week twenty six coming up. Just one feature match, uh, the Arsenal versus Newcastle game. But again, n- never a dull moment in the Premier League, and something tells also got the that. League Cup final too. So yes, League Cup final is at Chelsea, uh, Liverpool, right? Yep. Wait. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, Liverpool, who in their swan song for their club story manager could guarantee some hardware versus Chelsea who are playing on pure vibes at this point. <laughs> who knows? 
That should actually be a good game. Um, yeah. With that, we will sign off for this episode. Adios. See ya.